He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. Welcome into the 73rd Hole Radio Show, and this is not a rerun. Taylor Gooch has just won back-to-back times on Live, winning Live Singapore, staring down two Hall of Famers. Let me bring in my co-host, Taylor Williams. Taylor, how are you doing today? I stayed up late and watched it live. Taylor Gooch stared down Sergio Garcia and Brooks Kepka, and they held off guys like Phil Mickelson and Scott Vincent. It was an unbelievable final round. Taylor Gooch ends up wearing the GOAT chain again, wins the golf tournament in a playoff over Sergio Garcia. Our man TG, who, by the way, we're going to play our interview that we did on the podcast earlier this week in the second hour here uh, on the 73rd whole radio show live on the Sports Animal. But Taylor. Our man, Taylor, is the hottest player in golf right now, Taylor. I mean, just another $4 million just hit the direct deposit. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that. But, yeah, it just felt like it was deja vu, Sam. I mean, it just felt like the same thing last week. Didn't quite have the 10-shot lead, but still just this. The golf was just impeccable. He has such control of his ball. Hit some of the best lag putts I'd ever seen. It's just it's full come, coming full circle, Sam, that we've been able to see TG really grow well, ever, ever since this podcast started back in uh, 2020. And just to be able to see how his game has evolved over these last three years has been pretty special to see because, as you said, Sam, he's more than likely the hottest player in the world right now, and uh, I wouldn't uh, – I mean, I guess you could put John Rahm in that category, but uh, I, I can't think of very many people I think that would beat Taylor Gooch right now. Obviously, John Rahm is the best player in the world, and it's kind of subjective how you say hottest player in the world, but Taylor's up there. I mean, he's won back-to-back times you know, in the best field in golf each of the last two weeks. So, I mean, that's really impressive, and it was a statement win – T-Dub because, number one, I mean, the Range Goats and Taylor Gooch end up getting the victories. The Range Goats get their first win on Lib. Bubba Watson, Thomas Peters, Harold Varner the third, and obviously Taylor Gooch. Uh, where you at, DJ? By the way, remember when DJ said that Miami was going to be the last time that Taylor Gooch saw the podium? Uh, turns out, Taylor leads his team to a victory. Bubba Watson called him the team leader Big-time win for the Range Goats as far as the team goes. And it was also, T-Dub, a huge statement win to show the USGA what they're going to be missing out on. I don't think that you can have a U.S. Open, T-Dub, without the guy who has just won back-to-back time, and I'll repeat this, against the best field that week, two times in a row, And the USGA has to see the fact that if they do not let Taylor Gooch into the U.S. Open and every other major championship does, there's going to be an asterisk next to that U.S. Open. 
Well, it would just be a crime is what it is. I mean, he's he's 34th analytically, and that was before his, uh, his win this week, so he's probably going to pump up into the top 25 of analytical players. And it, it's not the, the thing that they would have to create some weird exemption to get him in because he's one on lift. He should already be in from what he did in the Tour Championship uh, being able to qualify for that last year. So it's, it's not like we're asking the USGA to – add some rule into it. We're just doing what he should have been able to already do already. I got some good news last week that he's going to be in the PGA Championship at Oak Hill the week after uh, Liv is up here at Cedar Ridge, so that's a really good sign. But, uh, but yeah, it, it would just truly be a crime if TG had to go try to do some sectional qualifying or something like that to get in when he's playing some of the best golf in the world <laughs> right now. That would be uh, and that would be just quite quite a crime in all honesty. No, it really would. And and we'll break that down on the podcast, uh, the interview that we did with Taylor Gooch earlier this week. We did it on Tuesday night, our time. He was in Singapore. It's Wednesday morning for him. Um, so we will play that entire interview, full one-hour interview later on in this radio show, just in case you missed that. But T-Dub, I want to go back, uh, you know, and, and kind of break down this final round, um, you know, the kind of battle between Taylor Gooch and, and Sergio Garcia and Brooks Kepka. Um, I mean, let's, let's go back to the start because by the way, Sergio Garcia absolutely loves this course in Singapore. He won the 2018 Singapore open, Singapore open uh, on this very golf course. Um, but T-Dub, I think the reason number one, why Taylor Gooch is playing such great golf right now is number one, he's hitting fairways and he's hitting greens. His distance control with his irons is phenomenal, but it's always been good. The problem with, with Taylor's game sometimes is that he doesn't hit enough fairways to put himself in those positions, and we've heard him say that you know, in, in interviews with us. He said, if I can hit fairways, I can compete with anybody in the world, and he's finally hitting fairways and hitting that beautiful low stinger, even hitting the driver in play. Now, we'll get to the drive in the playoff where – he carried the water by about a foot, but he did hit the fairway on the playoff hole. But T-Dub, I want to go back to number nine. I thought that Taylor made some really clutch putts, especially, you know, starting on around number nine and leading into the back nine. He made a clutch seven-foot par putt uh, on nine after Sergio made the birdie. Um, and then Taylor fatted it into the bunker at 11, at, right out of the middle of the fairway, very uncharacteristic. Um, Sergio, you know, was tied for the lead at 16 under at that point. Um, but T-Dub, I, I just think that coming down the stretch and tell me if I'm wrong, it just looked like Taylor was not going to miss. And really Sergio hit some clutch putts too. I mean, we could go through all of Sergio's clutch putts as well, but it just seemed like that's the reason why Brooks Kepka was not in that playoff with Taylor Gooch and, uh, Sergio Garcia at 17 under because Brooks, it just seemed like didn't really in, get anything going on the greens. Everything was just a little short or a little left or a little right. It just seemed like Brooks was a little off on the greens, whereas Sergio and Taylor Gooch were really making all the putts they had to make to get into that playoff. Yeah, it was kind of like you were saying earlier. There was a lot of things that happened really in the middle of yesterday's round. Some good par saves from TG ended up making the birdie on the eighth hole, which really propelled him. Because you look at TG from the stretch of – he started his first four holes. He birdied three of the first four, but he threw a bogey in there as well. So he's two under through four with the bogey. And then after that, 
proceeds to play. He birdies eight, as I mentioned, but then pars, what is that, 12 of his next 13 holes. So played some very steady golf in there and uh, hit, hit a lot of really what I would call controlled iron shots. Didn't seem like he was aiming at a lot of flags and uh, was relying on what was really great this week was his lag putting. I saw him hit, I mean, just get a little bit later into the round. Like, for example, 16, he had like 90 feet and hit it up there to a foot. And then in, in both times on 18 in regulation, the playoff hit some great lag putts up there as well to tap in, not even really having a mark and get back in there. But, yeah, you, you mentioned Kepka as well. He he parred holes. He started off uh, burning three of his first five holes, but then he pars his next 12 holes and just really wasn't able to get anything going. I think really where at the point to where TG didn't have a solidified at this point, but where I really felt like he was going to win was after the 15th hole where Kepka hits a beautiful iron shot in there to about five feet and ends up not making that putt. Sergio hits it over in the trees, hits a good punch shot out just in front of the green, but is unable to get up and down, misses about a, a five or six-footer on that one as well where TG was able to make a par. So I think that was a really big uh, momentum there, Sam, because let's just say both those guys make that putt and everything plays out the same. Kepka would have finished at 17 and Sergio would have finished at 18. I know things could have, could have uh, definitely varied on that, but I feel like that 15 was a very crucial hole yesterday, Sam. That's where TG didn't necessarily win the tournament, but that's where he gained, uh, in my opinion, the most of his momentum. No, you're exactly right. That putt could have completely changed the momentum. And like you said, Sergio and TG were a little rusty after that rain delay and it seemed like you know like you just said Sergio was in the right trees and absolute jail ends up making bogey and TG hit it to the left side of the green no chance at making a birdie and Brooks is in there six feet away and lips out on the left side um Taylor I want to get into this now number one during that rain delay right before that rain delay they blew the horn in Taylor Gooch's backswing on a putt you would think they would have more awareness than blowing the horn in the leader's backswing but then he almost made like the 40 footer that he was he was putting at the time that was a little interesting um but then on 17 Sergio had a chance remember it's the long part three and Sergio hit it about hole high 15 feet away Brooks hit it about hole high, 15 feet to the right of the pin. Um, and then TG hit it right over the pin, barely off the off the green there, but had, you know, a shorter putt from just off the green than Sergio or Brooks even did. And that was where TG, I felt like, dodged some bullets a little bit because Brooks left his putt short. Sergio totally misread his putt. It wasn't even close. Missed way left on that putt. Uh, and then Taylor, I thought, hit a great putt. Um, and then it just leaked right at the very end. Um, but at the same time, he dodged a bullet in the fact that Brooks or Sergio did not make those putts on 17. Um, and then T-Dub, I want to get into Sergio's kind of strategy course management on number 18. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, the par 5 18th is, was playing dead into the wind, and Sergio insisted on hitting three wood each time. And this, this whole, I mean, you could get there in two if you hit driver. I think the only thing that I can think, T-Dub, is that Sergio did not like starting his driver over the water that did run down the left-hand side of the fairway. Um, but on the same, at the same time, when you're Sergio and hitting three wood off the tee, then you're hitting three wood into the green. And he proceeded to hit two spinny three woods in regulation and in the playoff. And I feel like that's where Taylor Gooch really had an advantage on Sergio is that Taylor did put his driver in the fairway both times and then put the fairway wood on the green both times and put massive pressure on Sergio. Uh, number one in the, in the regulation to get it up and down 
from short-sided out of the fairway over the bunker, and Sergio did, made a clutch left-to-right seven-footer uh, to get into that playoff. But in the play on, in, on the playoff hole, T-Dub, Sergio hit that spinny three-wood into the right bunker and was completely short-sided and really hit a great bunker shot, missed it by about a foot. If it lands about a foot farther, he's going to have a nice short putt uh, to try to tie Taylor Gooch. But Taylor Gooch, like you said, his lag putting was unbelievable coming down the stretch. But I feel like the reason why he won the golf tournament was those second shots on 18. Well, he was just able to put himself in a great position after really the drives, as you talk about, because it's not the not the easiest driving hole in the world for sure. And yeah, I think you're exactly right about Sergio wanting to hit the three-wood. Just didn't seem like he was overly confident with the driver. You don't want to aim aim over water and, and, and hope that your ball comes back, even if that is your natural, fright, or natural ball flight. You never want to be penalized for a straight shot, so I think that's exactly what Sergio was doing. As you mentioned, the up and down that he had on um, – on 18 in regulation was really good. I mean, that, that putt that he had to make, that little six, seven-footer, that thing broke uh, massively. Had the old live putt line there to show exactly how much it broke, and that thing just snapped off the face of the planet. So, I mean, it was a great putt to make there. But, yeah, whenever he short-sided himself on 18, he knew it was going to take something miraculous uh, to be able to pull that shot off because, I mean, he had to carry so much. I mean, it was probably, what, a 35-yard bunker shot, and he had to carry it about 27, 28 yards probably and then be able to get the spin. So definitely not the easiest shot in the world. He needed to carry it about a yard or two further, and he actually would have had a really good chance there. But, uh, but no, TG just, just played so absolutely solid on 18 both times. I mean, just exactly text because you want it to. You know, you don't miss right of that flag as Sergio did in the playoff. You put it out there to the left and you assure yourself a birdie. You know, a lot of people, a lot of good players can, can try to make eagles on too many par fives. And TG, you could see, was playing um, for, for the birdie. And another thing about Sergio, maybe he was trying the old uh, Tiger philosophy of you want to make sure you hit first uh, whenever it's kind of a match play type situation. But I don't know if that's why he would have done it in regulation. Would have been a lot more likely to do that in a playoff because you also have the chance of Kepka potentially making an eagle and, and getting up there as well. So, uh, and with it being a par five, you don't want to be that much further back. So, I definitely think it had to do with the alignment. But, uh, but yeah, TG, I think just his, his strategy on that hole really what paid off because uh, just as good as his shots were, as you mentioned, he did carry the water by about a yard in, in the playoff. But still, though, the, the, the fairway woods he was able to hit there in 18 under that pressure with the with all the money on the line and having one last week as well being the, the first player to win back-to-back on live, a lot of pressure. Uh, definitely showed the minerals that TG has and knows that this isn't the last time they're going to see him uh, on the podium, uh, unlike what DJ said. Let's go to the Trade Pros Heat and Air Tech Nation line. And T-Dub, I'll let you answer this one. And I kind of alluded to it a little bit, but the texter here from the 405 says, what is Taylor Gooch doing that is so much better than everyone else right now? Is it accuracy, putting, et cetera? Um, I, I alluded to the fairways, T-Dub. When he hits fairways, he can compete with anybody. Do you see anything else that Taylor is doing right now that is more elite than when he was finishing, you know, 14th to 18th in every live event? Well, one thing about TG, and we've, we've talked about this at nauseum, just how great of an iron player he is. And uh, as you mentioned, he's been able to put the ball a little bit in the fairway. You look at all the years when he played on the PGA Tour, he, he never really gained shots off of the tee. And when he first came out on tour, he lost strokes gain off the tee. But after that, he was pretty much about neutral. And he always hit the ball a little bit above average distance-wise, but his accuracy just wasn't there, and that cost him. So, yeah, I think he's found some kind of go-to shots, as you alluded to, Sam, the, the kind of stinger three-wood that he hits off a lot of holes. I think that just puts him into position, allowing him to, I mean, even if he has to hit a five-iron in some of these greens when other guys are hitting seven-irons, with how good of an iron player he is, that, that really puts him 
at an advantage. And then also, too, Sam, his putting has just looks like it progressively gets better every single time he's uh, he's out there on tour. And as we mentioned, the lag putting is really what's there because the amount of times on that back nine, Sam, where he could have three-putted a hole, like, for example, on um, on 15, as, as mentioned earlier, 16, he could have three-putted there. Anytime um, on 18 in regulation. And then on 14 as well, he had a, another long putt after Sergio hit in there tight. Could have potentially been a two-shot swing there, but TG was able to make a very good par. So, yeah, I think it's – I think it's a little bit of just having a go-to shot off the tee now, Sam, to get the ball into the fairway, and then his lag putting and being able to make sure that instead of having the five- or six-footer for par, he's getting himself the two- to three-footer for par. And over the course of just even a 54-hole tournament like this, that's going to add up uh, pretty substantially. No, yeah, you're right on the money. And by the way, you mentioned the lag putting. Now, he did leave himself about 90 feet uh, on number 16, and that was really the only hole where I saw him miss the fairway with that stinger driver, uh, you know, hit it, <laughs> almost killed a cameraman right off the tee, hit it right over this guy's head, and then uh, hit it in the right rough, ended up leaving himself about 90 feet, and goes on to, you know, put the lag putt up there stone dead like he did all week. Um, yes, the lag putting definitely won him the golf tournament. Uh, and then T-Dub, talking about this golf course, this golf course was unbelievable. I was really impressed with it. It wasn't anything like Live Adelaide. I felt like this course was definitely harder. Unfortunately for the scores, I mean, you can't hide these pins from, uh, you know, these pros when it's wet outside, right? I mean, when you are, you know, watching these professional golf tournaments, if you are watching after a rain delay, these you can't hide these pins from uh, any of these professional golfers. That's why the scores were so low, and, and Taylor and Sergio were at 17 under. But I thought that the golf course was phenomenal. It was beautiful. Um, we almost had perfect, you know, primetime golf T-dub. I, I was impressed with everything about Live Golf Singapore. It was after the party at Adelaide, a whole lot different vibe this week, but they did have solid crowds out there. Honestly, more people than I thought uh, they were going to get out in Singapore, T-Dub. What were your overall thoughts of the golf course in Singapore? Oh, I thought the golf course w was very beautiful. You know, reading around, seeing some things on Twitter saying that, that the initiation fee at this golf course is $600,000. And, I mean, that just shows how, how nice it is just based off, off of that aspect. And uh, you mentioned Sergio having loved this course, won the Asian Tour event back in 2018. I, one of the par fives on the front, I can't remember exactly which hole it is. I mean, he has a plaque in the middle of the fairway. So, yeah, I mean, if there was any place for Sergio to – Number seven, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, number seven. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool little deal there. And I think one thing that also worked out, Sam, was they moved the tee times up because of the risk of rain. We had the rain delay in the first round, which was about two and a half hours. Then we had the rain delay last night. That was, what, a uh, little, little under an hour and a half, something like that. And uh, so what that allowed it to do was we actually had the primetime golf because if not – uh, they would have started almost in the middle of the, uh, of the night. And uh, I don't know, Sam, I hope that going forward, whenever they do have live events on the other side of the pond, that they do have tee times uh, closer to this because uh, it's a lot better to try to watch golf at, at 8 or 9 p.m. I know that's not, not when they're finishing. That's when they're starting. But it's better than starting at that time as opposed to starting at midnight or 1 o'clock, like, for example, last year when they played um, in, in Bangkok and then when they played in Jeddah. Those tournaments uh, both corresponded right in the middle of the night, and it was a little bit hard to watch. So uh, maybe even if there isn't some more rain in the forecast, Sam, for some of these other Cross the Pond Live events, they will do similar tee times because it made for a lot better viewing experience. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, T-Dub, just to kind of outline how consistent Taylor Gooch has played since going to Live, 36 regular season rounds have been played since Live Golf launched last year. 
Taylor Gooch has led or shared the lead after nine of those rounds, including the last six rounds. Think about that. Now, Taylor is obviously playing on a different level than he even has at the start of this year or at the end of last year where it's a fine line between winning golf tournaments and, you know, being in contention for golf tournaments. But Taylor is finally winning these tournaments, but he has been putting himself in those positions. And I just feel like he's hitting a couple more fairways per round, hitting his irons great. His distance control is unbelievable. Um, but that stat right there has shared the lead after nine of the live rounds. And in the last six rounds, he has been in the lead or shared the lead, T-Dub. That's amazing. It, it truly is. And one thing that's interesting is we talked about this a lot leading up to the Masters of how a lot of guys that were in the Masters really weren't even that highly on the li- on the live rankings because they didn't play very good the first three events. So what that showed me was is that if one of these guys, whether it be TG as he's done or maybe a Cam Smith, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, if they go out and, and they could get on a little bit of a run like this and TG has just done it before anyone else has. And uh, and he, he even says it on our podcast, our list- the listeners will hear in just a little bit how you know, he had been playing really good leading up to this point. It's just a situation where sometimes the the form that you're in doesn't really reflect on the scorecard, just shooting a little bit higher than, than he felt like he was playing. But uh, he's definitely got it all figured out uh, now, Sam. And uh, it was just, uh, just the absolute control of the golf ball is what gets me. There's very few wayward shots at all. It just seems like wherever he wanted to hit the ball, he put it there, and it was just an absolute beautiful thing to see. No doubt about it. And Taylor has made $8 million, T-Dub, in the last seven days. (laughs) So that's a pretty good week uh, from our man, Taylor Gooch. And like I said, Taylor ends up winning Live Singapore in a playoff over Sergio Garcia at 17 under. Brooks Kepka in solo third at 16 under. Scott Vincent in solo fourth at 15 under. And Mito Pereira in solo fifth at 14 under. We also saw some solid play from guys like Cam Smith at 12 under, Charles Howell III at 11 under, Joaquin Neiman also at 11 under, along with Harold Varner, um, Peter Uline at 10 under. Phil Mickelson did drop back in the final round after shooting back-to-back five unders. He did shoot one over in the final round, uh, finished the tournament at nine under, along with Patrick Reed and Eugenio lopez Chicara. Um we saw Bryson DeChambeau show some good form this week, T-Dub. Um, and then the, my my question is to you, and we also got this question on the text line from the 405. Um, these live guys are going to tee it up next at Cedar Ridge up in Tulsa, or Broken Arrow. What do you think, or which type of player do you think really suits Cedar Ridge? Or what, what, you know, what guys are you looking at as far as leading into the PGA? A lot of these big names on live are playing some great golf. Which guys are you looking for to have a massive week at Cedar Ridge? Taylor Gooch is obvious, right? But give me some other guys and they can be big names. Um, but these are the guys that Taylor Gooch is, has beaten over the last couple of weeks. And what guys have you seen little glimpses of that you're going to see play some solid golf at Cedar Ridge leading into the PGA championship? I see Cedar Ridge as a, as a pretty ball striker favorite uh, golf course, Sam. I mean, every time I play that, the rough has been immensely long. And, and so you have to put the ball into play. There's a lot of holes where you can get 
out of position. But it's also, of course, as well, Sam, to where I feel like it it favors the long hitters as well. So maybe even someone someone wouldn't be thinking about, like a Jason Kokrat finished uh, sixth this last week. Maybe he's finding a little bit of form because he can hit the ball very far. Chucky, three sticks, obviously, from around or played his college golf in OSU and from around this area. Maybe he's got some experience up there. I'd look for him. Harold Varner the third went five under, six under his last uh, last three or last two rounds at this tournament. So he would be someone um, to look at. Even someone like a um, Amito Pereira, who, who seems like he's starting to find a little bit of form. One of the more uh, recent additions uh, that that Liv put on there. So uh, so yeah, I think that it's uh, and, and then obviously Kepka who has been playing really well is someone to look at. And and the thing you have to look at for too, Sam, is that it is the week before uh, the PJ Championship. So you have to look at the guys who are going to be in the PJ Championship and, and just make sure that they're potentially not looking ahead, wanting to get up uh, to New York and Rochester to play that tournament. So uh, that'll be an interesting um, element to see, maybe similar to what we saw at uh, at Adelaide as it was the week before the Masters. I did make an omission here, T-Dub. I said that Taylor Gooch has made $8 million in the last seven days. I was mistaken. He's really made 8375000 in the last seven days. We got to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. When we get back, we're going to talk PGA Tour. John Rahm and Tony Finau battling it out today. So definitely stay tuned. We'll talk about that. And then we'll hit our interview with the winner back-to-back weeks on live. Taylor Gooch here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the sports animal. And we are back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston pulled back from being out with the gout. Preston, are you are you feeling better after last week? Uh, you know, still on the men's, but we'll be better for there sure. Go. There we go. Well, I'm glad you're back feeling a little better. Uh, T-Dub, by the way, we're getting some texts, a bunch of texts on the Trade Pros Heat and Air Text Nation line about Cedar Ridge. There are still tickets available if you guys want to go watch these great golfers. Obviously, Taylor Gooch, Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith. You know, you can go on down the list of all of these great live players, Brooks Kepka that you're going to be able to see the week before major up in Tulsa at Cedar Ridge, May 12th through the 14th. Just go to livegolf.com and look at the tickets that are available. T-Dub, it's time to get to the PGA Tour. Non-elevated event this week on the PGA Tour at the Mexico Open at Vidanta. And T-Dub, on the podcast earlier this week, I asked you the question, does the winner come out of Tony Finau and John Rahm? Well, it looks like it probably will. Now, Akshay Batia is 17 under. You have Brandon Wu at, at 16 under. You have Will Gordon at 13 under. But it looks like it's going to be a two-man battle. I would be shocked if Akshay Batia ended up winning this golf tournament over Tony Finau or especially John Rahm. But let's break this tournament down because it's been an interesting one. Like I said, Finau at 19, Rom and Akshay at 17. Now, Finau has been Mr. Consistent. In the first round, shot six under. Second round, seven under. And in the third round, he shot six under. Now, he's been striping the ball, gaining over four and a half shots per round tee to green on the field. Um, but like in round three, he lost over a shot and a half on the green. So he's going to have to putt a little better than he did yesterday if he wants to try to beat John Rom. In this final round, Rom, on the other hand, in round one, only shot four under. Now, the scores are really low this week, so I say only four under. But he shot four under in the first round, three under in the second round, and then goes off with a ten under par 
in the third round to vault himself up into second, tied for second on this leaderboard. Only two shots back. Tony Finau headed into the final round. If you remember last year, John Rahm did win this golf tournament. And T-Dub, we always joke about on the podcast, I asked John Rahm at the PGA Championship, was Mexico the confidence boost that you needed? And he looked me right in my eyes, stared right through my soul and said, I didn't know I needed a confidence boost. So hopefully John Rahm can get another confidence boost uh, today here at the Mexico Open. But T-Dub, like I said, I asked you the question earlier this week, does the winner come out of Tony Finau and John Rahm? And you said yes, and it looks like you're going to be right. Yeah, I mean, j- just for comparison's sake, you had up the analytically chance to win this afternoon between Phenol and Rom. You add up to 85%, so there's only a 15% wow. chance they think that anyone else could come out of it. And, and the main reason for that is is that you mentioned Batia, Brandon Wu's there at 16-under, so that's two and three back respectively. But then after that, uh, fifth place is Will Gordon at 13-under, Austin Smotherman's at 12-under and sixth, and there's a few guys at 11-under T7. So you would be pretty shocked to see any of those guys go out and make a run because I, I don't suspect Finau and Rom to both really fall back. Is there a chance where uh, Batia or Wu could go out and – and, uh, and maybe shoot a 62 or 3 or something like that. Yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility um, by any stretch. Brandon Wu, um, what, what's ironic, Sam, is that uh, Rom, Finau, and Brandon Wu all finished in the top three of this tournament last year, and then they're up there again. And then you had the legend, Oxay Batia, with the tender date, who won as his caddy on the Corn Ferry Tour. I mean, I, I mean, how you top <laughs> Tell that. Tell the people about that. People are probably wondering what the heck you're talking so, about. So, if I remember this correctly, essentially he was just swiping on Tinder, met this girl, and he needed a caddy for the Corn Ferry event that week, so she caddy for him. <laughs> And uh, end up winning the tournament. And uh, what's impressive is that she was a pretty attractive woman too. So I mean, Akshay's got got a little bit of game, not just on the course, but off the course. So uh, you know, definitely a guy that you root for in, in, in that aspect. But but Sam, I mean, absolutely, I would be incredibly shocked if uh, Fina Rom did not win this tournament. But but for guys, people are going to be watching this tournament this afternoon. I think there's a few uh, stretches that that are going to be very very crucial. So holes holes five, six, and seven have been playing pretty under par. This week, then holes 8 through 10 are playing um, considerably over par. Number 10 is, I believe last year they said it was the fifth or sixth hardest hole, a uh, fifth or sixth hardest non-major hole that they played on the PJ Tour last year. So if you can get past that brute with just a par, you're going to be moving on. But then after that, Sam, holes 12 through 14 have been playing a decent amount under par as well. So you got a, a stretch there in the middle of the round where three holes are playing pretty easy, Three holes are playing pretty hard. Then you have another three holes that are playing pretty easy. So uh, make some birdies in that first stretch, kind of level out with some pars in the middle. And then if you make some birdies um, coming in, hole 17 is playing uh, decently hard this week, but 18 is a very, very gettable par five, and most of the guys are birdieing that hole. It's actually playing right at about 4.5, which means that you're just as likely to birdie as you are to par. So, um, so yeah, Sam, I think it's pretty interesting. You don't, Usually you see a little bit more volatility in a random hole here or there, but it seems like on this course there are some stretches of holes that you need to take advantage on, and then there's a, a couple of stretches of holes where you just need to hold on for dear life and hopefully get some pars on the scorecard. No doubt about it. Par 71 this week in Mexico, and John Rahm yesterday, T-Dub, was on 59 watch. He shot 29 uh, six under par on the front nine and then goes on to birdie 12, 13, and 14. Uh, so T-Dub, I mean, he only birdied 17 out of 15, 16, 17, and 18 and only ends up two shots away or really three shots away from the illustrious uh ends up two shots away from the illustrious 59 t-dub but and then he didn't even get the birdie at the par 5 18th i thought for a second yesterday john rom was going to shoot 59 
Well, if he would have been able to eagle 18, he would have been able to do that. But unfortunately, he drove it in the lip of a bunker and had to hit out essentially sideways and was only able to to make par from there. But but it's kind of like I mentioned earlier, Sam. You look at what Rom did on his round yesterday. Um, holes five through holes five through eight, he played three under par, and then holes nine through eleven, he played even par. Then holes twelve through fourteen. He played three under par going birdie, birdie, birdie. So you have 12 and 14. There's actually five par fives on the back nine holes. 12's a par five, 14's a par five, and then 18, as we had just mentioned. So there's definitely a chance for some volatility um, to happen there. So, uh, But I don't know, Sam. I, I just I don't see a realm to where if, if Batia or Wu isn't able to go out and make a move on that front nine, even with all the par fives on the back, I don't see any of them still being able to make a run because Rahm and Fina are some of the best par five players in the world, so I expect them to to play those three par fives no worse than two under. So uh, those other guys would have to play them three or four under to be able to make up some ground, and that's, uh, that's a lot to ask. So uh, I think for the guys chasing Sam, the front nine is even more important this week than it is uh, other weeks. Edub, I know this sounds crazy, but John Rahm really hasn't been the most consistent player this week. It's been Tony Finau. Tony Finau, you know, he's gained over a shot on the field in every strokes gain category every single round. And looking, other than his putting yesterday, but looking at John Rahm, I mean, in the first round, he lost over a full shot around the green. Second round, he lost shots, strokes gained approach, which he never does. Uh, with the irons, and then in the third round, he goes out there and blazes the field. Which John Rahm are we going to see today, T-Dub? Well, it's funny. You're 100% right. Rahm has not had his A game this week whatsoever. I believe it was the second round I was watching. Number nine is is a little part three. He played about 140 yards. And and he missed this ball like 30 yards left of the pin in the pond. I think they said it was the only ball that had been hit in the water up until that up until that point on that hole. And, I mean, just shot. I've seen Rahm hit three or four shots this week that you – like. Even you didn't see him hit those at the Masters at all, you know. So it, it could be just maybe a couple times you have a little bit uh, lapse of focus there, but it just shows how talented he is, right, Sam? To be able to go out and we talked about this with Tiger. I'm not comparing Rom to Tiger by any stretch, but Tiger would be able to go out and win tournaments with his B and, and sometimes even C game. And, and Rom's shown that he's that talented enough to where he can do that. But you, I mean, you really look at it, and he's gaining over almost two and a half shots on the greens, gained over three shots on the greens yesterday, and gained almost four shots approach to green. So uh, if he can find a little bit of form that he did yesterday, then he'll be good. But uh, one thing that, that our man TG has kind of uh, has made us forget about, Sam, is that it's really hard to follow up a, a stellar round with a, another one, even though Gooch can go 62-62 as he did down in Adelaide. Rom shooting the 10 under 61 yesterday. Is he going to have a little bit of that being able to rebound? Um, that, that question's still out there. But, uh, you know, he's chasing such a world-class player, and Fino's a top five player analytically currently so uh, so yeah I expect both of them to go out in a two horse race because off the tee and approach and even on the greens which is something that we talked about in our previous show Fina had not be do- been doing exceptionally well but he seemed to get the putter figured out so yeah I expect these two uh, to be battling it out uh, pretty heavily and probably distance themselves from the other guys pretty con- uh, pretty considerably yeah you alluded right there to my last question to you is a lot of people might look at those putting stats from Finau yesterday where he lost over a shot and a half on the field on the greens and say, and I just don't trust Tony Finau's putting coming down the stretch, especially staring John Rahm in the face. But when you look at the putting stats from this year, he's having by far the best putting year of his career. Now, he hasn't necessarily gotten everything out of these rounds, and, and he's had some streaky ball striking rounds, especially off the tee. But in 2023, uh, he has one top five and one win. But his putting stats, he's gaining over half a shot on the greens for the first time 
in his career. That's dating back to 2015, T-Dub. That's why I think that yesterday on the greens for Tony Finau was an anomaly. But do you think that maybe the pressure is bringing back some of those old bad habits with Tony Finau? Which way do you think it goes on the greens for Finau today? Well, what's interesting is that one of the reasons he's he's gaining so many shots this year, even though you look at especially those last 10 events, he's about 50-50 on the on if he's gained strokes on the greens or not is because when he does gain strokes on the greens it's more than a full shot it's like you you don't see that that often where someone is either makes every single thing he looks at or doesn't make anything so uh I don't know it seemed like that he had the putter rolling the first couple of rounds but but you I saw some strokes yesterday that uh just didn't seem particularly right and one of the things I noticed with Fino is that it seems like that he kind of sometimes hits a little bit up on, on his putts which that'll do is it makes it hard to control your speed and then if you have a breaking putt then the ball can go underneath your line if you don't hit it solidly. So that's what I saw a couple times yesterday. Um, but you alluded to it, right? The pressure will expose your weaknesses, and uh, that really has been Finau's, even though he is gaining strokes on the years you alluded to. The last two terms, he has lost strokes gain on the green. So uh, I-, I think it'll be somewhere in the middle. I, I think that and he doesn't ever tend to do that right in the middle, but I do think he'll be right around neutral um, today. I do just think that Rom and, and Fina's ball strike, and they're going to be hitting so many shots today to 12 or 15 feet. I think you're going to see a lot of holes where it kind of turns into a putting contest, and you might have a, a first guy make situation right, where let's say uh, Rom hits it to 12 feet, Fina hits it to 8 feet. Rom makes a 12-footer, Fina could end up missing the 8-footer. I think you're going to see a decent amount of that of that today because these two guys' ball striking is, uh, is superb and uh, two of probably the top five ball strikers in the world. T-Dub, quickly, who do you got today? I'm going with John Rahm. He's had his B game, with the exception of yesterday, the first two rounds, he actually probably had about a C game. I think he's going to ride on that momentum a little bit, and um, I expect Rahm to win by one or two over Finau, but I expect Finau to finish second by a good um, three or four shots, maybe even considerably more if they get into a little bit of a shootout. I got Finau today, T-Dub. I picked Taylor Gooch to win back-to-back weeks, and I picked Tony Finau to win this golf tournament this week. I'm on an absolute heater. Time to Maybe go to Vegas. quite the heater that Taylor Gooch is on, but I'm on an absolute heater right now. So I got to ride with Tony Finau, my pick, before the week started. Okay, after the break, we are going to play our interview that we had with Taylor Gooch, and this was after Liv Adelaide, after he won the first time. Then he won back-to-back, obviously, late last night. Um, So enjoy the full-hour interview with the back-to-back winner on Liv, Taylor Gooch, right here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal. 